Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, October the 5th, 2020, and this is episode 2745 of the Survival Podcast. And it's a Monday, that's usually a roundtable call, a roundtable show uh, with roundtable topics or a feedback show or a combination thereof, but just because I felt like changing, throwing you a change up today. And just because I had something on my mind that I wanted to talk about, because it's my show, even though it's y'all's show too, but I'm the one that makes, I'm the decider. Remember that from Bush, uh, Bush 2, right? I am the decider. When it comes to the content that goes out on any given day, I am the decider. And I have decided that today we needed a fun show. There's been too much bullshit going on. By the way, today's the last day of the bullshit sale. More on that in a second. But there's been too much bullshit going on. In the world to have everything be serious. And why not have a fun show? What the hell's more fun than fishing? And I would always tell the people, that I don't think fishing's fun. It's boring. Then you're doing it wrong. And the kind of fishing we're going to talk about today is generally, depending on the season and the location, but for, for most of the places I've ever tried the stuff I'm going to talk about today, it's high-action fishing. Maybe it's not the biggest fish, but you catch fish. And that's the thing. Fishing it can be boring, I guess. I mean, if you don't like sitting out in a beautiful place and relaxing and enjoying yourself in, in a natural scenario and you're not catching anything i guess it can be boring but catching is catching is fun catching is not boring and we're going to talk about fishing today in a way that allows for lots of catching that doesn't cost a lot of money that can be done almost anywhere i'm not going to say everywhere because that's just stupid when people, I, I i find when people say you can do this anywhere i find that as stupid as when people say everybody wants to or everybody's talking about no they're not Even if 80% of the people in the world are talking about something, 20% aren't. There's nothing that everybody's talking about. And I'm not going to say this is going to work, let's say, in the West Texas desert where there's no water. I mean, you have to have water to have fish. But in most places throughout the country, you'll be able to apply these principles today, and you'll be able to catch fish, and you'll be able to do it without spending a lot of money. And in many instances, fish that you can eat. This is going to be a true survival skills show, but it's not going to sound like it until I kind of wrap it up at the end. We'll be talking about all of that and more in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Western Botanicals. I love herbs. Herbs are a huge part of my life, a huge part of how I see to my ongoing needs from a medical standpoint, especially kind of chronic achy things or scratches and abrasions and stuff like that. When I found Western Botanicals and they wanted to sponsor the show, I knew I found a true partner. That was a real company with real people that really cared about you, that really would answer the phone and really would help you if you needed it. You can learn more about them at westernbotanicals.com. Next up today, the Free State Project. The Free State Project is an organization working to build liberty in our lifetime. They are an organization I have supported now for over a decade. Uh, they're in the wonderful state of New Hampshire. They have a new uh, campaign. out. just visit New Hampshire. Contact them and go visit New Hampshire. Have a vacation and learn about a new place that you might want to call home. Check them out today at fsp.org. With that, let's go ahead and uh, start digging on into today's subject. Again, I want to talk about fishing, and we're talking about fishing today from a standpoint of fishing creeks, what I'm going to call ditches, but you know they're not really ditches, but maybe sort of kind of they are, park ponds, things like that, small bodies of water. And there is a lot to love about this type of fishing. And a big part of it is 
again, most of the country, somewhere probably within 10 miles of your home is a place like I'm about to describe, and I'm going to tell you different ways to find them today. I've just found a new place that's awesome. Um, using the method of well, the first method I'm about to give you, but I found this place, and it's just if it ain't for the one stupid traffic light that sometimes when there's nobody around I run because it's stupid. Um, it's five minutes from my house, and it's about a ten minute walk after that. And we'll talk about my Karen cart that just showed up in a second. Um, but I found this place, and I've been meaning to check it out for a long time. And my wife asked me to go to the store this weekend. So I drive into the store. I'm going to drive right past this place that I've marked on my Google Maps over and over again. I need to check out. It's a park. And it's a park, but it's got a creek running across the back of it. And it turns out it's a disc golf uh, park. And uh, there's a picture of this place, and it is just pristine. It's just, it looks like you're in the middle of the wilds or something like that. The water's crystal clear. Big cutouts under the banks, little skinny water, and then big hole, and little skinny water, and then big hole over and over and over again. And that is a formula I'll talk about today, too, for, for creek fishing. If you find skinny water holes, skinny water hole, those fish have to concentrate in those holes. They have to. And it is a bang-on way to find fish. Well, I get out of the car, and I look, and I'm like, man, it's like a 34-acre park. And there is no way to get close to the creek. So I walk all the way down to the creek line along the back edge, And I find this beautiful place. And it almost looks like there's paths, like prepared paths on both ends. Easy access. A lot of our creeks around here are really steep banks and, and, and hard to access uh, to where you might go ass sliding first down into the water and, and have to walk away before so you can find a way to get back out type stuff. Not this place. Just easy, 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 beautiful fish floating around in it, but a long walk from the car. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I hear traffic. So I start heading back toward where I hear traffic and I find the overpass of the highway. And so I get back in my car after I walk all the way back down there to it. And I pull over by that overpass. And there's just, and I could, I'm still going to check the other side of the overpass on the, it's a divided highway, but it just doesn't seem like there's a good place to park where your car won't be molested uh, or possibly even ticketed. And there's no real good access. So you got this long walk. So I ordered a Karen cart. What the hell's a Karen cart? If you've ever, it's a soccer mom cart, right? You go to like soccer matches and stuff, and they have these folding little, like a wagon, but it folds up. I ordered one of them, and people are like, well, why, you know, it's, it's probably somewhere between a half mile and a full mile. It's probably about three quarters, maybe five eighths of a mile. Not that far to walk. I don't mind walking. I don't even mind carrying, you know, my basic fishing gear and all. I like to keep fish, and sometimes I like to keep fish alive. And that's a long ass way to carry four gallons of water in a bucket. So that's why I got my Karen cart. But how'd I find this place? Here's this place. It's just up the road from me. There would be no reason to believe that it would be where it is. If you, if you drive by on the highway, you can't see into it. You look at this park, it doesn't say nothing about fishing. And like I said, where you park, there's several parking lots. None of them are close to this access point. How'd I find it? Google Maps. So you found a park on Google Maps, Jack. No. I'm going to do something that I'm going to suggest you do to find little places like this around your property. You go into Google Maps, and you use the map view, and it will show water features. Now, it's important to understand it will not show them all. It will not show them all. But in any place that water shows up, you kind of dig into it 
with the satellite view and if it's available, the street view. Because I've found like overpasses, for instance, where creeks run under the road, where when you go to street view, you can clearly see that there is not only a great place to park, but you can see in the street view right down, and you can see that it's a place people people are fishing. So I've even found one where I saw, you know, like when they take those pictures with the moving car and all, there's a dude, they gray your face out or whatever, but there's a dude standing there with a fishing rod in his hand. Well, clearly, I mean, it doesn't mean it's definitely going to be a good spot, but it means it's a place you can go fish. And one of the important things to know, these, these places, as long as there's no reason you can't park there, even if it's right up to private property, the actual road easement under these overpasses and stuff like that on creeks and all, that is all, it cannot be posted, you cannot be kept out of there. You can, and I don't know about individual regulations by state, but as far as I know, in all states, but I'm not going to claim that I'm right about this, but definitely in the state of Texas, if water, if a waterway, so a moving water like creek, river, etc., stream, is navigable, meaning you put a small boat on it and go up and down it, it doesn't matter if it runs straight through the middle of somebody's property. You cannot be prohibited from navigating that waterway. That's beyond what we're talking about today. It was a little interesting to know. But Google Maps has become one of my number one ways of finding these little pockets, these little places. And I want to say something before I go on about skinny water like this, these little creeks, these little ponds and all. One of the reasons I love them is if there's fish in there, you can either probably see them or find them quick, and you know if it's worth fishing there. And I have found, especially small streams in my part of Texas, if you can't catch fish there, you can't catch fish. There's something wrong with you. Or there's no fish in that particular stream because maybe one thing to watch out for, you see water on the map, you see water on the satellite view, you find a place, you go there, there's a nice little running body of water, it's got some holes in it and all. If that sucker dries completely up to where there's no water or it doesn't move and it gets stagnant during your drought season, then it's probably not a good place to fish unless it's close enough to a larger body of water where they come upstream when it's running. So just another thing to look out for. But you find these little pockets like this, and you can catch fish consistently. So Google Maps, both the map view and the satellite view, if you, if you find any kind of city park or anything like that, always switch to the satellite view and get as close a look as you can. A lot of these little parks and stuff that have ponds in them, like, you know, they're about the size of like a golf course pond or whatever, they don't show up on the map view as a water feature. So Google Maps and play with it. Nextdoor.com. Nextdoor.com, I got a bunch of cool places to check out. Just And it wasn't even me. It was another guy said, hey, I'm looking for some bank fishing spots. And there were like a pond behind a church and no one cares if you fish there. And I mean, just all kinds of cool sp stuff. So I think social media as a whole it might be useful. But like if you put that on Facebook, you have friends from all over the world or whatever. But next door is your kind of your neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods. And I've found that a lot of those people are willing to, you know, give that kind of information away on next door where a lot of like fishing forms and all, nobody wants to give away their little honey hole locations and things like that, at least not most people. Next, I've started to find some really cool stuff in kind of the western Fort Worth area. And the way I've been doing that is I found a dude's YouTube channel. I can't think of his name right now. Um, but I just started searching YouTube for, like, Fishing Trinity River. Or, like, there's a place called Mary's Creek. It's a creek that's a tributary of the, of the Clear Fork of the Trinity. Fishing Mary's Creek, Fort Worth. Things like that on YouTube. And I started finding this guy posting videos saying I'm fishing Mary's Creek or fishing, you know, the social. And I found a whole bunch of spots from his channel. And I just said no one wants to give away their, their spots. This guy gives away a lot of his spots. If you ask him in the comments, he's like, oh, it's right here. It's at these two crossroads or here's how to get there. 
And he even said not everybody wants to give all the way their spots, but these are kind of like, they're not that hard to find in the first place spots. And people fish there all the time. Anyway, so sure, I'll give my subscribers a location where these are at. So specific YouTube searches. So if you find a body of water and a name for that body of water, and a lot of times a lot of these little creeks, little impoundments, etc., will have names, put that into YouTube and you might find somebody fishing there. And that can give you a lot of intel about where to park, what's in there, is it worth fishing, you know, time of year to fish it, etc. Next, city websites. So if, if you have little cities and towns around you, if they have a website that lists like all their parks, check all their parks. Because what you know about a park is you can go there because it's public. There's parking available there. So if there's any body of water there, you know you can fish it. A lot of times you can find a park and it won't say, like this one I just found, won't say anything about fishing. But by knowing there's a park there, a lot of city parks, etc., have creeks that run through them or along their border. So going to like all the little cities and towns around you and seeing if they have listings of parks or simply go to Google Maps and type in, for instance, one of the little towns that I fish some places in is called White Settlement. White Settlement City Parks. Stick that into Google. Start looking at those map images. See any place where a creek passes them or there's shows that there's a, a, a pond there or what have you. And a lot of times if you see like a park and its name and there's a pond there, While nobody will tell you to go fish there, if you search for that by name, you might find postings about somebody that has fished there and intel on it. Uh, but definitely your city parks. And what I call just plain situational awareness to fishing. And so if I drive over an overpass, little small byway, great big highway, doesn't matter, anything in between, if I go over an overpass... I'm looking to see, is there a body of water under this thing? And if there's a nice, convenient place to stop, you know, on either side of that overpass, and I'm not in a hurry, even if I don't see any water, I will stop and I will look. And if I'm not sure about, you know, whether it's worth coming back or not, I will mark it on my phone, on my maps, and I will come back and I'll, I'll check it out later. So overpasses are just immediately something that tells you there could be a body of water down there. And a lot of times there are these little creeks, these little cutout banks, etc. And again, as long as they're physically accessible, because some aren't. I found some of them, nice looking body of water down there. I don't want to die though, so I ain't doing it. Um, but as long as they're physically accessible, they're generally legally accessible unless posted otherwise. The other thing to keep your situational high, high up for is park cars. If you're driving along a place and you see a car parked and it's you know, like not broke down or something, there's a reason somebody parked a car there. There was a place I used to fish, and if you didn't know where it was, you would probably not find it. It was a, a lot of people knew it because it was stocked heavily, but it was a place called Clark's Valley, Pennsylvania. Uh, Clark's Creek is actually, and it's near Clark's Valley. And the creek was a good somewhere between a quarter mile to a half mile from this very long road that ran all the way through Clark's Valley. And there were places to pull out and park and stuff like that. But there was no sign like, hey, fishing here. And you could not see it from the road. But if you drove through there, you would always see some cars pulled over and see some little paths and stuff. No sign saying you're not allowed to go there. You know, and they're not, you know, DNR or something like that. They're not government vehicles. So if other members of the public can go there, you might want to just check that out. Now, be careful with your not private property and other things like that. But... 
If you see cars routinely parked in an area, there's something going on and it might be fishing. And then the time to like dial it up. When you know you're driving around close to lakes and rivers, lakes and rivers, big ponds, etc., often mean creeks. Often mean creeks, and creeks sooner or later cross roads, and roads that get crossed have overpasses, and they have access points. So I'm always looking for overpasses and parked cars, but if I know I'm near a lake, I know I'm near a river, then I know I have tributaries and stuff like that. And I'll tell you that I've found a lot of times, like, I mentioned the Trinity River here. There's some good fishing in the Trinity River. And something like, ah, oh God, the, the clear fork of the Trinity River, uh, north of Fort Worth especially, is there's nothing wrong with that water. Okay? Um, but you get these bigger rivers, and you may or may not find fish on the bite. But a lot of times the smaller creeks, that skinny water hole, skinny water hole pattern, up from those rivers, they will be productive when the river doesn't seem to be. So that's another little thing to look out for. Now, let's talk a little bit about these different places, what I mean by them, and what's what's really cool about them. Ponds. What I like about ponds is that, okay, so the fish that are in the pond are in the pond. And when I say pond, I'm not talking about a two-acre lake somebody calls, you know, my favorite pond. I'm talking about ponds. I'm talking about stuff that's anywhere from a quarter acre up to, you know, just under an acre, sometimes even smaller. I'm talking about when you go to a city park or an apartment complex and there's a pond there. Or you, you happen to meet a landowner who has some stock tanks that is stock drink out of it, has fish and he lets you fish. That's a pond. I'm talking about something that in many instances, if you had a decent sized weight on, you could probably cast almost all the way across it. One of the places I fish a lot in a place called White Settlement, um, if I sit at the right part of the pond, I can reach almost every part of the water, with a few exceptions, from that one place just based on how I cast and where I cast. I generally wouldn't do it. It's fished by a lot of other people. You'd be crossing lines and pissing people off. I'm just saying it's not that big. I'd say that pond is probably three-quarters of an acre, and it's really narrow along part of it, and then it kind of widens out and goes back down. Very cool little place. And because of that, Finding fish is not hard in those ponds. So you can generally, if you know what species may be in there, very quickly target and find and locate fish. Also, if there is any sort of structure, it's pretty quick to identify it, little honey holes and stuff like that. Additionally, if it's someplace where maybe it isn't heavily fished and people don't really get wise to what you're doing, boy, they are places to create honey holes. And when we talk about chum in a little bit, I'll give you a couple ideas for that that are really cool ways that you, especially if you like to fish for catfish, you can create a honey hole for yourself. Um, but they're just usually easy access and easy to find the fish in. Creeks. What I like about creeks is often small creeks can hold fish way bigger than you ever thought would be there. And again, my favorite pattern is skinny water hole. Skinny water hole, skinny, skinny water, skinny water hole. And if you get a, 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 a creek where you've got maybe a half mile, a three-quarters mile, even a mile a creek, and there's only three or four deep holes along all of that, fish are going to concentrate there. And a lot of times there's opportunities with creeks to fish seasonally based on rainfall. So a lot of times that skinny water hole will be more like pretty deep fast water, pretty big hole, pretty deep fast water, semi-deep water, little skinny water, big hole, bigger hole. When you got your rainy season, when you go two, three months without rain, 
you go to skinny water hole, skinny water hole, and those fish have to concentrate. Let's just face it, a, you know, a good-sized channel catfish or even a good-sized bullhead can't live in one-inch deep skinny water. He can't live there. He can't, he, he can't swim. They might scurry through there from one hole to another, and I've seen them do it. It's kind of crazy looking when they do, kind of like salmon going up the stream to spawn or something they look like. But they're not going to hang out there. They're going to find that deep water, that cutout bank. They're going to go in there. The big thing about creeks, though, since they're moving water, there's there's a lot of times there's always fish kind of moving through at different times of the year. So they're less susceptible to being like heavily pressured and fished out than some of these small ponds in, 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 in parks and stuff, even if that creek is in a pond, because people don't tend to, or in a park, they don't tend to fish it as much. Ditches. When I say ditches, I'm talking about usually creeks. But in, in different places, you'll find legitimate ditches that are full of fish. Canals and things like that that interconnect different bodies of water. Any place you can find fish. If you put ditch fishing on YouTube, you'll be surprised some of the places people are catching fish. Including some crazy-ass cichlids I saw this one dude catching in South Florida. And this ditch is maybe two foot wide, the, the water part. It's like a concrete small canal. And it's like maybe two foot wide. You can step right across it. It's probably a foot and a half deep. And the water looks like tundra water. It's like this weird, gorgeous, clear blue. And they're catching all these cool cichlids out of it. So never think that a place is too small to be worth checking out. Um, you might find that maybe it's not a great place to fish, but it's a good place to get bait. When I lived down in Arlington, there was this little overpass, and it looked like this little pond thing there, and it just didn't seem like a place that would hold fish. But it seemed like, well, there kind of does seem to be a small creek that flows through here. So I went down there, parked my car, and got out and tried to catch some fish at the sea, and it was full of little perch, bluegill, brim, whatever you want to call them. And it was a great little place to get bait for catfish at some of the bigger spots because there were all little tiny things and there were a billion of them in there. Um, spillways. Spillways are not exactly what I'm talking about today, but they're always worth checking out. I just wanted to throw that to you. So anytime you see a, a significantly sized dam, any dam of any kind, that somewhere there has to be an overflow and a spillway. And that water has come out the other end. And if there's any access to that, that place is worth checking out. And a lot of times those spillways are fairly big water, and then they go, in some cases, if they're not that big of a dam or impoundment, to skinny water hole, skinny water hole. And then those are places that get surges, because when that dam gets really, really full, they open up the spillway more and they let more water out, and then it skinnies back out. So that's another thing to always look for with the creeks. Um, I want to give you kind of, to me, I know that some of y'all live in the Northeast and all, and, and, and some of this stuff may really be nice for trout and stuff like that. The most universal fish to target in these types of things, though, across the country, and this is from Florida to Pennsylvania when I fished up there, and again, there were trout and stuff like that, but those are generally stock streams, unless you're way back in the sticks and you're fishing for native trout or something like that, but perch. And when I say perch, I know there's this whole freaking shit. I, I can't believe the shit storms I've seen on, on YouTube over the, the use of this term. In Texas, we just refer to all the little sunfish species generically as perch. And every single one of us knows that up in, like, you know, Michigan, y'all fish for yellow perch. When I lived in Pennsylvania, I fished for them, yellow perch or white perch, and I fished for yellow perch like crazy in Pennsylvania. 
And we know what that is. We're not confused. It's just a colloquialism. Some people call them sunnies or sunfish. Some people call them bluegill, but bluegill's a species. And so they'll call everything bluegill, even though it's really a pumpkin seed or a shell cracker or a green sunfish. But whatever you want to call them, uh, brim was the Florida term. The generic, like we say perch in Texas and Florida, they said brim. Um, they're always in these little bodies of water. In fact, I would tell you it would be the first thing to try to catch because if you can't catch them, odds are the fish just aren't hitting there. So a little piece of worm on a number 10 or a number 8 hook and a slow sink or a bobber, you know, something like that, just to see if they're there. Um, often they can be seen. Like if you got clear water, you stand, get, in the sh get where the shadows favor you and the reflections favor you and take a look and often you can see these little guys swirling around and stuff like that. If those are in there, there's probably other fish in there too. And to me, they're actually one of the better eating fish if you can get them of any size. They're my favorite fish to keep in backyard ponds. Next, catfish. And I was going to say bullheads, but I found a lot of these small creeks around here. You know, you're messing around with some live bait or something. Next thing you know, you're into something sizable, and you might be into a pretty good size uh, flathead catfish or channel catfish. I've not caught any blues in these types of waters. But channels and, and, uh, and, and flatheads will, will turn up, especially the creeks that go into bigger bodies of water. And then you got that skinny water hole, and it's a big hole, and you got that cutout bank. I mean, I've, I've caught some pretty nice catfish, but I catch mostly bullhead cats. And bullhead cats, when they get up to about 10 inches long, are a damn good eating fish. Don't buy into this bullshit. I hear so much about this. Number one. Well, bullhead are fun if you eat them fresh, but if you freeze them, they're bad. No, they're not. And I just fed my wife bullhead, and if my wife doesn't like something, she'll tell you quick that I froze and then thawed out and fed to her just because somebody said that bullshit and I'd never heard it before, just to, just to see. I do like to salt uh, bullhead catfish before they go in the freezer. I like to salt any fish a little bit, just a light, not heavy like you're going to smoke it, just a light salting, let it sit in the refrigerator, let it sweat out, firm up a little bit. Dry it off before you freeze it. You get better results that way. Um, I've also you know, been told, well, they taste like mud in the summer, but they taste good in the winter. I don't know what you're talking about. They eat their own shit. They live on mud. But no, they're predators. Bullhead catfish are predators. They're also scavengers, but they scavenge things that other predators leave behind. And if, if that's true, then go catch, catch bullhead on a turd. Show me you doing it, and I'll believe you. Right? But if you want to, uh, if you want to catch bullheads, they like worms. They like cut bait. They like shrimp. They like minnows. I mean, I've, I've caught bullheads and cleaned them and had them full of little sunfish. They're predators. They also have quite a bit of fat in them, and they, that's one of the reasons they cook really, really, really good. And bass. Bass tend to be, you know, largemouth or smallmouth, depending on where you are. It's perch, catfish, and bass that you tend to find in these small bodies of water. And that means that's what you should go there, unless you know otherwise specifically, that's what you should go there and target. And by the way, I can almost put these all together because bass are nothing but great big sunfish. I don't care what all you tournament guys think. Um, they're big-ass sunnies. That's all they are. Um, I want to talk a little bit about bait and chum options. Um, I do use some artificials in some of these bodies of water, but mostly I stick to bait, especially in like that initial probing mission. What is there? Does it bite? Uh, is it worth it? That type of thing. Starting out with... Chum, though, I want to give you three options for chum that nobody thinks of, and you don't have to go buy specifically prepared chum for fish, which is overpriced and ridiculous. The number one chum that works really good on sunfish, bait fish, 
and catfish is dog food. And I know you're like, yeah, Jack, everybody knows that. Hold on. Jack tells you things other people don't tell you, right? The problem with most dog food, if you get dry dog food and you throw it in the water, what does it do? It floats. Floatus does not make good chummus. Unless we're trying to chum up like fish that are going to surface hit, right? But generally, if we want to chum a hole, we want the stuff to go down in the hole, right? Okay, so canned dog food. It's disgusting. It makes a mess. It's one more thing to carry as far as a can in and out. Garbage, blah, blah, blah. Stinks. That's good for chum. Yeah, but it stinks. and stinks. Gainsburger or anything like it. It sinks. It's soft. They can eat it. It has a lot of smell to it as it dissipates in the water. It's cheap. You buy the generic stuff, and it, when you're, you know, you open your little packet of it, you throw a couple handfuls in there, and you wrap it back up, throw it in your bag, and when it's empty, you all you got is a little tiny wrapper to take out, throw away, or if you have a little creekside fire, you can burn it. Cool, huh? So that's one. Number two, and this is what this it, they call it: magic catfish chum. It's expensive for what it is, and all it is is blood meal. Now they in the, the to stretch it with that they mix it with some sort of a grain or whatever, but blood meal is a fan like blood meal you buy for fertilizer for your garden makes a fantastic chump, and any kind of like something that will hold it with holes in it so that it permeates out works really well. There is a uh, they they call them cricket cake like cricket pucks I think is what they're called. I see if I can find one on Amazon. It's like of all the stuff I have listed today, I don't have this. But they're basically a little cricket case where people are cricket fishermen, these crickets for bait, and it folds up like a little puck. And you twist your puck, and they're, you know, it's about the size of a little bit bigger than skull can in diameter. And when you twist it, it pops open. It's a little net, and it's got a pop-open lid, and you put crickets in there. You can put chum in those things, and they permeate out. And when you're done, you clean it out, and you put it back into puck shape. It goes back in your fishing bag. doesn't take up much space. Blood meal, maybe you want, want to put something more like a, an old sock or something inside of that when you do it. But permeating out with that blood, fantastic for catfish. And then the cleanest, cheapest uh, chum for catfish that works exceedingly well and doesn't stink, range cubes. Now, if you, if you deal with cattle, you might know what these things are. They look like giant feed pellets, like a rabbit pellet except they're like a little bit bigger around your thumb and about as long as a man's thumb. And you want the higher protein ones so they'll sink, and they're made with cottonseed meal and other things. They are fantastic catfish chum, and a little bucket of those or a bag of those with you, and you throw a couple into your hole here and a couple into your hole there, give them a little while to work and come back and fish, and work really good on bullhead cats and work really good on channel cats. This is something I know about them, though, that makes them even better chum because I've kept catfish in... Um, fish tanks. So I kept some bullheads in a 37-gallon fishing tank one time, and I had started to use these things, and I wondered how well they really worked. So not wanting to have a big skanky mess, I broke a piece or two off of one and threw them in the tank. And in almost no time at all, the bullheads came out and they were chewing on it. But what I ended up with was little piles that I had to vacuum out of the, of the meal because they didn't eat hardly any of it. They, they, they liked the smell, but they didn't actually want to consume it. That is gold for chum. Because then you bring fish in, you attract them, they're hungry, but they're not fed. So range cubes. For bait, number one bait anywhere I go is worms. Plain old night crawlers. 
That, that's, that's the go-to. That Everything eats a worm. Uh, it will tell you if something's in there. Number two bait is minnows, bait fish, perch, goldfish, anything like that. Live bait, um, not as good for your, you know, catching other perch and stuff like that, but your bass, your larger catfish, etc., and cut bait. That really kind of all goes together, even though I broke it out. Cut bait, um, this is why I like using cast nets where they're legal, minnow traps where they're legal, little piece of worm and a little tiny hook where it's not legal to trap or net or you just don't want to because you catch those little perch, cut them up, fantastic bait. You have to think about these fish are surviving in this body of water. What they regularly eat is things that are in the body of water. Um, some other stuff to consider, my go-to catfish bait is hot dog. Hot dog is one of the greatest catfish baits, especially channel cats and bullheads. I will often take a hot dog or three or four, cut them up into you know discs, and then cut those discs in half. I'll put them in a little ball jar, you know, like a pint jar or, or, or a jelly jar, and get like a good your, whatever your favorite like shad scent fish attracting is. And pour about an ounce of it in there with them. Put that lid on them, shake it up, throw it in the refrigerator overnight, and that just doubles down on it. If you if you use good hot dogs like Oscar Mayer, right, both good and lips and assholes, but you know what I mean, like the higher quality, and you do that, they tend to toughen up over time with that shad scent on them. I don't know why, but they stay on actually a little bit better. Uh, so hot dogs. And then probably the number one uh, bait you can use for catfish, and if you look at a lot of the state records for bullheads, like the biggest bullheads caught in that state, shrimp. It just can kind of get soft and stolen. Um, so if you have a lot of little tiny fish pecking, it doesn't work real well. But when you've got a good bite on appropriate size fish, it's probably one of the best baits you can use. Those are the places to start with all of these things. And that's just what I recommend. Some stuff you can add that's kind of fun and stuff you can kind of use while you're fishing, normal fishing, limb lines. You've got to check if this stuff's legal where you are. But limb lines are when you have creeks with overhanging banks, If you have a nice green limb there, you just tie a line, put a bait on, and throw it in the water and let it let it go. And that limb is a perfect hook setter for you. Because what will happen, that fish takes that bait and runs with it, and that limb, you want a good springy green stick, it'll just pull that hook into their mouth and keep an eye on them. You know, I've often set up and run three or four limb lines while I'm fishing and catch a bunch of other cool stuff. And that's sometimes where you find out, like, hey, there's some big catfish in here. You know, you might not want to sit there and you're just kind of fishing for fun, and you're going to, you know, tie your rod up with this big bait on it, like a, like a, you know, let's say a four-inch perch. Well, you you get a limb line near a, you know, a cutout bank or whatever, and put a bit of a heavy weight to keep his ass down in there because he ain't going to want to stay in there, and toss him back in there. And then if that happens to work, then you know that that's something to target in that body of water. It's the trapper theory. You put out multiple traps, and they work while you're having fun. Um, jug lines, except jug lines, you know, they can be kind of, you, you know, unless you're going to be walking in the water, wading and stuff, or they can kind of float down a stream on you or things like that. But what can often work really well is basically you do a jug line, limb line combo. So the jug's really doing the fishing. So there's, a, I'm not going to get into jug fishing today, but you can literally do jugs. I've been out fishing and just people leave garbage everywhere and you find a couple of water bottles and tie up a couple and throw them out. Uh, but then you, you, you tie that jug also to a limb 
So the jug does the fishing, but when it's time to bring that jug in to rebate or bring a fish in or whatever, it's tied off to someplace on the bank. And that's one of my favorite things to do. And then traps and nets. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit because I have a minnow trap that I recommend that's in, in the links today. But fish traps and nets, whether they're dip nets, sign nets, cast nets, what have you, if it's legal and you always have to look what is legal where you're at, there's a lot of utility to them. They're a quick way to get bait. They're a quick way, as long as there's not something that's going to tear your net up, like a cast net into a deep hole will tell you right away what's in there, that type of thing. Thoughts on gear? Again, I have a whole list of gear we'll go through uh, here in just a second. But just some general things. Number one, scale down. When you're doing these types of bodies of water, scale down. Lighter line, lighter weights, smaller hooks, what have you. Um, Karen cart, I kind of mentioned that already, but the Karen cart is a great idea for these park environments, especially if you use like telescopic rods or you break your rods down so they really don't stand out. So you don't have like two big six foot long rods going through the middle of the field on rod holders and the, that are attached. A lot of guys do that. They attach rod holders that are carrying cart. Nothing wrong with it. Just, I'm saying in some places you may want to not really attract a lot of attention. You're not doing anything wrong. You just don't want attention. You know, all of a sudden you got a guy who's like, I'm a park authority and I'm here to see what you're doing. Well, I'm fishing, ask clown, go away. I'd rather not have that call, that conversation. I, I don't really want, hey, are there fish in there? No, I just go down here with fishing rods, throw them in the water and look at them. You know, I don't, I, I'm not the guy that wants to have a lot of conversations with people who I haven't initiated those conversations with, um, what have you. So the Karen cart blends in. People use Karen carts at parks all the time. I know that's not what they're really called, but you kind of get my point. When, when you see somebody with a couple chairs and some stuff like that in a cooler dragging one of those through a park, you don't really pay attention to it. I don't like to not be paid attention to. Um, again, scaling down lightweights, small floats, etc. I, I tend to not interfere with people's lives. I don't want to be the guy interjecting myself, just like I don't want people interjecting themselves. And when I go fishing, I want to pretty much be left alone. The one time I'll often say, hey, do you want a little advice, is when I see a guy bring his kid, you can tell he really wants to get his kid some fish, and they got a bobber on about the size of a softball and a hook big enough to land a shark with, a little piece of worm on it, and everything that's in there are four-inch perch. And that bobber's just ding, 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 ding. I'll even give a, like, hey, here's a hook, here's a float. You want, when you're using any, if you're using floats for any reason, bobbers, call them what you wish, You want, the, you want it to barely float with the weight and the bait and the hook that's on it so that it's uber-sensitive and not really felt by the fish. But always light line, scale back in these skinny water. Um, and again, I've got a bunch of links we're just about to go through here in a second uh, with gear that you can make your life a little easier with. I wanted to give you a little bit on cleaning the catch, though, and some thoughts in general just about enjoying this stuff. Number one, you're probably not going to fill your freezer this way. Um, you might. I don't know. I mean, I know a guy that lives in uh, Vermont, actually, that does a lot of this type of fishing for panfish, you know, bluegills and bass and stuff. And he probably puts every summer about 100 pounds of fillets away. So he's out there filleting these little fish and all. And if you want to, you can. But in general, this is just like, You know, it's, it's neat. As long as the water's clean and safe, you know, you can come home and, you know, pop a few on the grill. And maybe they're, it's, it's poor man's surf and turf. Maybe it's a burger and a, and a couple uh, bluegills. 
So maybe they wouldn't be a meal in themselves, but they're a nice little addition. And my favorite things to do with that is, number one, with all your bluegill perch, etc., unless you can get into some really big ones, I'm talking hand size and a bunch of them, I don't fillet them. You, you lose too much, and it's too much time. It takes too much work. You scale them really quick, slit the gut open, pull the, the guts out, and then cook them whole. And kind of my favorite thing to do then is take your knife and cut like three little slits in the skin on both sides when they cook that way. Crisp that skin up, crisp that little tail up. I see people like cutting in the back and pulling the dorsal fin out. Screw all that. When it's cooked, that, that back fin will pull right out if you really want to worry about it. But just that's my favorite way for small panfish. It's just gutted, scaled, and cooked whole. Next is the bullheads. I've talked about this before, but shucking. If you have not looked up how to shuck a bullhead on YouTube, look it up. And all of a sudden, all these little catfish that you just don't think are worth screwing with, you'll be like, oh, oh, that? Because that made me love them all over again. I loved them as a kid because you could always catch them. They have such an affinity for those little guys because they save so many days when you want to caught anything, but you catch a few of those, you feel good. But, you know, if you fillet a bullhead, you got this little bitty fillet, even on like a 10, 11-inch bullhead, and it just, and then you got slime and all. When you learn to shuck them, you cut this thing up the back, you break the spine, you pull it out, shloop, And you get this whole perfect little fish. It's got bones in it, but they come right off. My wife enjoyed eating them that way. My wife enjoys something you probably will too. She's not, she's not a rough country girl type. Uh, and then one of my favorite things to do, I call it cooking creekside. I say that even if it may not be a creek, but unless now you got to be careful. Some of these parks and stuff that we were talking about have ordinances. You're starting to fire. Barney Five comes down and yells at you. What have you? Um, but If you can have a little fire by the creek and you take some of these guys, put them on a stick or something, and it just adds to your pleasure of your life. It really does. On some of the gear I want to give you here, I'm going to go really fast through it. Don't worry. If you go look up today's episode, you will find everything in the show notes linked so you can see what it is. Number one, the carrying cart we already talked about. Number two, fish grippers. I love fish grippers. The item of the day today is my new favorite one. It's a very compact one. You could hold it in your hand and hide it from somebody. If you're a good magician, you could probably make it disappear. It's all metal, and it works. You push out to open it, and you pull in to close it. And as, as the weight of the fish bears down on it, so you it's a you grip the lip with this. The harder that the, the you know up to the weight it could handle, which is rated at 25 pounds, and that's bigger than any fish you're going to catch in these environments the weight of the fish actually makes it cinch more. So as, it's, you're, as you're pulling away, it gets stronger. Um, I'll give you a little more on this one in a bit because it is the item of the day today, but I like them to be small, lightweight, etc. I like to use uh, what you call a zinger with it and with pliers and stuff like that. A zinger is a little thing that glips to your belt or your vest, and it's got a, uh, um, you know, a retractable line attached to it. Uh, so that you can use it, and when you drop it, because you will, it just winds back up and you don't lose it. And I, I, I have one that um, it's a little bit more expensive than all the rest, but it's totally worth it. And they make a bunch of different kinds for different needs, but it's called the Boomerang Tool Company. And, and that, I always have my grippers and my forceps. Um, I have a, uh, a new set of uh, hemostats, I'm sorry, that I've been using you know, for taking hooks out and things like that. Uh, they're made by a company called Dr. Slick. Uh, they have a forcep and scissor built into them. I, I'm going to be bringing a bunch of this stuff to you over the next couple of weeks as new items in the fishing catalog, and this is one of them, these Dr. Slicks. Um, but they're the best 
hemostats for fishing you will ever get. They cost more because hemostats are stupid cheap. They're worth it. They have a scissor function to them as well. And when I was researching them and looking for some new stuff like this, I found some negative reviews that says they don't cut braided line, but they cut mono just fine, but that was a, a con. And I'm like, you know, I don't cut braided line very much. Usually when you're fishing braided line, you are um, using a uh, you know a leader, like a, a, a fluorocarbon leader or something like that, or you're using a snap swivel and you're using snells or rigs or something like that. Um, but, you know, I carry a knife so I can use these for what they're really for and cut mono with them. And it, when I got them, I looked at it and said, there's no reason that this wouldn't cut braid line. So I took some 65-pound braid line and it cut like nothing. And I think what these fools are doing is they're holding braid line loose and kind of hacking at it. But if you just kind of pull it over, it just goes for it like butter, cuts it nice and clean. So the doctor slicks are exactly what they claim. They're slick. And uh, there's a bunch of different shapes, varieties, etc. I have kind of the long, straight ones, and I find them to have the most utility. Those are also a really great multi-tool. Uh, they they have, for instance, a little pokey thing inside the hand grip uh, that can be used to clean out like jig eyes and hook eyes, especially ones that always come with the damn paint over them and you can't get a line through them. And then up on the handle, there's a little, basically a little straight-edge screwdriver built into them too. So they're a great multi-tool. Uh, next is my favorite bag for fish. Uh, my favorite, um, I'm sorry, my, yeah, my favorite zinger. I already mentioned that one, uh, but that's the the uh, the tool uh, that that has the retractable thing. Definitely, you want to use something like that for these little gadgets. Uh, next up, tarred bank line. When it comes to doing limb lines, jug lines, all that stuff, I always use tarred bank line. And there's only one kind of tarred bank line that I can guarantee you when you buy it you will get tarred bank line that actually has tar on it. So it will actually do what tarred bank line is supposed to do, which is when you tie a knot, it stays there. And it's made by a company called Catalula uh, Manufacturing Incorporated, and I have a link to that as well. As far as rods, I don't care. Um, you know, This is not the kind of fishing where we're going to go out and buy a $300 surf rod or something for a custom-made rod. Uh, but Ugly Stick Elite is probably the best value in fishing rods that there is as far as I'm concerned. You know, you're looking at a mid-priced rod, you know, somewhere between 28 and 50 bucks, depending on what you're buying in this kind of size, uh, weight range. Uh, but to me, when you look at an Ugly Stick Elite, there's a lot of rods out there that are 100 to 150 dollars that are no better than an Ugly Stick Elite. So they're like the mid to low-priced rod that's really kind of the upper end value uh, out there. So I love Ugly Stick Elite rods. Uh, my favorite fishing bag is made uh, It's made by Spiderwire. It's a Spiderwire fishing bag. I'm not going to say a lot about it other than it holds a lot of stuff. It allows you to spool line onto a reel without dealing with twisting and knotting and crap like that. Keep a lot of line with you. Um, it is a fantastic rod. The video that I have of it that shows you everything I carry in it, I use it as my back behind the truck seat uh, kit, so no matter where I am, I can fish. Uh, absolutely love that bag. I'm currently looking for a really good backpack for fishing. I think that would be very valuable. Most of what I found so far, I'm not in love with. I, I'm really not. I'm not trying to, you know, take everything with me or take nothing with me. Kind of that middle size, purpose built. Haven't found exactly what I'm looking for. But as far as a, a, a shoulder bag, the Spider Wire one, I went through dozens and dozens of reviews, dozens of stuff on YouTube, and I think it's the best bag for the money on the market. I also love a little guy called Bubble Box. And Bubble Box is uh, a battery-powered, two, takes 2D batteries, air pump. The only down, downside with them 
As they get wet and used over time, they will die. But they're cheap. They're like eight bucks. They keep bait alive. But the main thing I use them for, as you guys know, I have backyard ponds. I bring a lot of fish home. It does not take long for a couple dozen fish in a five-gallon bucket to die. If you're making a, tw- a three-hour trip from a river or something like that back to your house, it probably will not be sufficient. You're going to have to take other measures. One of the things I've done for that, just as a little hack, by the way, when we're taking, we're getting a lot of fish and we're driving pretty far, it's it's hot out. Put a cooler in the back of a pickup truck. Take a pump, like a pond pump, like a 500-gallon uh, Allied Aqua, and build a uh, spray bar, like for a bait well in a in a boat. So you just take a piece of pipe and you hook it up to a tee and drill some holes in it and put some plugs on it so it makes a waterfall sprayer. And then take a, uh, what, what the hell do you call them now? An inverter. I'm sorry, just a simple inverter hooked up to, you know, your cigarette lighter or your truck, go back through the split window so you can run that little pump. Because most of those pumps will run on about 20 watts. So I think you have to be under about 150 watts. I don't care what your inverter size is. If you're going through the cigarette lighter so you're not clamping to a battery, um, I think it's 125 to 150 watts will generally blow your cigarette lighter fuse. But most of those little pumps like that run about 20 watts. So they can, a small, you know, little plug-in inverter, run that pump, and you can take fish further distance. But for day-to-day use, the bubble box is awesome. Next, I I saw a lot of people doing this with a particular brand of pop-up laundry basket on uh, YouTube from Ikea. I don't really go to Ikea much. I like the convenience of Amazon. I like free shipping. I like getting my shit the next day. I hate going to Ikea. It's just huge. And with all the COVID crap, it really sucks. Um, I found one that's even bigger than the one that people get from Ikea. It looks like it's built better. It's like 8 bucks. It's made by a company called Household Essentials. It's a pop-up hamper. And it basically folds flat into a disc. It's, I'd say, about 8 inches around. You know, like a big dinner plate. It's a little bit bigger than a big dinner plate around. But it folds flat, weighs almost nothing. Two little tethers, hold it closed. You take those off, it pops straight up. It's a good two and a half foot tall. And it's a hamper. But it's got a very fine mesh net around it. So if you have enough deep water close to a bank, you just sit it in the water, you throw a rock in it so it doesn't float away, and you throw your fish in there for your bait or keeping fish alive because you're bringing them home. That way they only have to go into the bucket with the bubble box on the way home. And you're not sitting there running that battery and running that pump that entire time. And what's really nice about it is it's a big open top. Unless you got jumping fish that are going to jump two and a half foot in there. When you're catching a lot of fish, you just unhook and throw them in there. Like, a, like, like you're playing basketball. And it's much faster than using like a minnow bucket or something like that. So, And if you are cast netting bait, and you have that set up, you just take your cast net and you just dump it right, you know, when you shake out a cast net and you're picking up all these little flopping fish, you dump them straight in there. It's it's really, really cool. All right. Next, uh, I just found a new, I've always struggled with managing my snell hooks. I love snell hooks. I know it's not the best thing in the world for finesse fishing. I know that sometimes you're in places where fish are really kind of line shy and maybe it's not the best idea to have a, you know, a snap swivel just a foot away from the hook. But in most of these types of situations, I rely on snells. I rely on snells because when I need to swap a hook out, go to a smaller size, whatever, I can do it much faster than tying it. If my hands are dirty or cold or whatever, it's really, really quick to swap them out. 
Um, if it gets swallowed by a fish and I don't want to deal with it and it's a fish I'm going to take home and clean, I'll just unhook it, drop his ass in the, in the bucket or whatever, and when I clean them, I'll pull the hook out from the bottom and reuse it. I mean, there's a lot to love about snails. But they tangle, and like all of the methods that I've seen for managing snail hooks, they still get into a mess or they're just too much of a pain in the ass to use. Those little plastic uh, you know, uh, snail hook holders and shit suck. I found something made called, uh, by a company called Lindy. It's the, called the Lindy Rigger, and it's basically a, it looks like a little spindle, and it's got enough, I think, to hold 10 per spindle, and they're made with a neoprene foam, And they're kind of in a groove so that they kind of naturally set. So you take your, your snail hook and you hold your loop and you wrap it around and around and around and around. And, of course, the, the loop end is now underneath the wrap so it doesn't come undone. And then you just bury the hook into it. Three of them fit into a little, like, Plano-style box. So you can have 30 snail hooks ready to go of different sizes, never get tangled. And if 30 doesn't get you for a fishing trip, that's a good fishing trip you had to use over 30 hooks on a lot of these little ponds and shit, too, what you're going to run into is turtles. And I try to get hooks out of turtles' mouths, but there's a point where I, if I wasn't out of park, that turtle would have his head cut off and thrown in an ant nest because there's, there's so many of the damn things there that need to be thinned out. So if that hook's deep, if I'm going to get bit, whatever, I just cut the damn thing off, let the hook rust. Maybe he'll let, learn to leave lines alone in the future. So there's a lot of new hooks going on and things like that. Also, if you're taking kids fishing, this is another call-out for snails. There's always so much crap to do when you take a kid fishing. And it's really quick to teach them to swap out snail hooks on their own. It's one thing they can do without trying to learn to tie knots or anything. By the way, your knot you want to learn is called a palmer knot. I can't explain that on the air, but look it up on YouTube. A palmer knot is the only knot that you'll need for 90% of your situations. There's other times when I want to use a cinch knot or a blood knot or something like that. But for most tying stuff on, a palmer knot... What I love about it, and when you see how it's done, you'll, you'll realize why. When you're a place where you really can't see well, as long as you can get the line through the eye of the hook doubled over the way that you do, you can tie it in the dark without being able to see. And it's a very, very strong knot. I've never had a palmer knot fail um, you know, by being below line strength. If I've lost a fish, the line itself was the, was the weakness, not the knot. Um, next up, the pop-up minnow trap I recommend is really great. You'll find that it's legal in most states. Check your own state for size, opening, etc. Uh, but it's a way that you can always get your hands on bait. Really, really great for that. Uh, and that dog food makes good bait for minnow traps as well that I mentioned for using for chum. Berkeley Gulp is kind of my favorite bait to keep in my bag. I will say that after about a year to a year and a half in there, it stops being really good bait and you need to replace it. But a couple jars of a couple different types of Berkeley Gulp That way you can always catch something. If we can catch something, we can make bait. We can catch something else. And then there's a thing I haven't tried yet, but I'm excited to try it. It should be dynamite on bullhead catfish. I, I want it for when I make my, my trips to the surf as well. But it's called fish bites. And I've seen some of the uh, saltwater uh, fishermen on YouTube that I really respect, that have some great channels, demonstrate that it works really well for surf fishing, for like whiting and things like that. And it basically looks like, it looks like a fruit roll type snack that kids eat. But it's kind of, you know, it's tough. It doesn't fall apart real easy. It's formulated like from shrimp meal or whatever, pressed together. It didn't look like something I thought would work until I saw people use it and saw it work. And sh since catfish love shrimp, 
It should work fantastic, and it should be very hard for it to be easily pecked off and stolen. So it's something you might want to give a try. I just say I haven't tried it yet. As far as reels, I grew up fishing with Mitchell 300s. I have, you know, freaking antique Mitchell 300 reels I buy and rebuild off eBay. I love Mitchell. But I have, since I discovered Akuma, and that's O-K-U-M-A, bait feeder reels, that's all I use. I will never buy until I find something better for the money. Because there's some really great pens that have the same feature, pen reels. They're three times as much money. And as far as I'm concerned, they're not any better. Okuma reels will run between $30 and $60, depending on the size and, and what you're getting them for. And what they have is a little lever on the back. It's basically two drags. So you have your drag you set for your fighting drag weight. And then you have a back drag that uses a little back of the reel uh, disc to, to tighten that. And when you cast that line and set it up as a tight line, like in a rod holder or a fishing stick or something like that, and you flip that up, when that fish takes it, they can pull line off the reel, and you can set that so there's enough resistance that you know wind won't pull it out, and that when the fish takes it, there'll be enough of the 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 bend in the rod to pull that hook and set a hook. Those things are money. I've caught so many fish just, you know, I'll be fishing all these ponds and kids are like, you're getting a bite. Yeah, I'm getting a bite. And as long as we're not, you know, having stuff constantly stolen, sooner or later you said, okay, now we'll pick it up and reel it in. That way I can run multiple rods, multiple baits, and not have to constantly manage everything. It's also great when you're fishing with kids because you can set up a couple rods, and when something's hooked up, you just pick, hook up, make sure you got a good hook set, hand the kid the rod, get that kid a good experience. Just really, really a lot of fun. So all of those things are in today's show notes. And I you know, I could do show after show like this, guys. I'm actually thinking someday of doing a, a little simple like ebook that's just all the hacks and gear and stuff that I've come up with over the years because there's tons and tons of stuff. But here's some final thoughts. Number one, this kind of fishing, if you have kids or grandkids or nephews and it is great for them. Be and it, I recommend that you don't take kids to a new spot you've never fished before. I recommend you go there by yourself. When you have time, you kind of skin the basics of making sure you can catch something. Take kids there, put them on that, and then you can probe around with doing other stuff while that's going on, depending on how big that kid is, how much supervision they need. But this is a great way to take kids fishing, mainly because look at it compared to something like we're going to take the boat out. So we got to load the boat up. We got to make sure the boat has gas. We got to go to the marina. We got to back the boat in. We got to pull the boat up. We got to load the boat up. We got to take the boat out. We got to hopefully catch some fish. We got to be out in the sun or the rough water. Blah, 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 blah. And you know, you got an hour into it before you get a line in the water if you're lucky from the time you leave the house. Plus maybe an hour of prep. Conversely, something like this, maybe it's you stop by the supermarket, pick up a pack of hot dogs, or stop by Walmart, pick up a pack of worms. You got all the gear in your car. Maybe you throw the rods in there. You don't keep them there. You drive 10 minutes up the road. You pull over and you're fishing or something to that effect. Much easier on kids. And then it's much easier for you to do too because it's something you can do without a huge time commitment. Right? That's the other thing. Like, there's a lot of times I, you know, I've actually sold my boat because I just wasn't taking it out. Plus, I had a buddy that wanted it for his dad. And it just worked out perfectly. But, you know, like, it was just that what I just said. Like, oh. Like, I can't just decide this afternoon and go, especially where I live now. Like, where I lived in, in, in Arlington, I did that all the time with my little John boat, and I went out on a lake called Joe Pool. Where I live now, like, any like the lake's expensive to put a boat on, $20 a launch, can't buy a season pass, pain in the ass. I mean, just everything about it. 
was just, I'm not fishing because it takes too long. But this little creek that I just found, my Karen cart just showed up. Dorothy told me it was here. I mean, if I want to, I probably won't, but if I want to today, when I get done with the podcast, I run up there and fish for an hour. And so that's, and then the last thing is that I started out with this. This is a true practical survival skill. Because I want you to look at it this way. We should all know how to forage some basic resources within 20 minutes of our home. We should all know how to do that. Fish is one of those resources. But if you follow the outline I gave you today with understanding the gear, understanding the target species, understanding the way to cook them, to clean them, to use them, fish that other people generally ignore, and how to find the bodies of water, guess what? You could be dropped into a, a place. And like I said, unless it's a desert where there's no water and no fish, it's about anywhere in the United States, you use this formula, and within a day, you know where resources are and how to get them. That is a true practical survival skill if times get tough or even if they don't. And I, I put that in a note so it wouldn't make a new line. I-T-G-T-O-E-I-T-D. I cannot for the life of me, like we say, T-O-T-W-A-K-E-D-E, you know, T-O-T-W-A-K-E-D, right, the, the, the end of the world as we know it. It just seems like if times get tough or even if they don't should have like a name like that, I can't read it. If y'all, anybody can come up with a way to pronounce that that would make sense, take a look at it today and let me know. And hey, you know what, on the gear... Shoot me an email with your gear suggestions and your fishing hacks. Put TSPC fishing in the subject line. Or if you're looking for something, like if you're, I'm looking for a really great fill in the blank for fishing, a really great option for or whatever, send me that too. So your hacks, your gear suggestions, and your, your, your quest for good gear. And we'll see if we can do some follow-up on this, because there's a lot of stuff that I could probably help you out with if I knew what you needed help with. With that, we've wrapped up the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. I had fun. I love talk. If you can't tell, I love talking about fishing. The only thing I love about love more than talking about fishing is going out and doing it. And damn it, if I ain't talking myself into maybe going out and fishing today, but it's almost three o'clock, so I probably won't. Uh, man, just give this kind of fishing a try. Because it is a practical survival skill. It's something that's fun to share with your friends. You know, I'm almost 50 years old, and I've fished all over the world damn near. I've caught big, giant, beautiful peacock bass uh, in, in, in Panama. I've gone offshore fishing. I've caught giant barracuda. I've caught goliath grouper. I've caught huge striped bass here in Texas. I've caught big flat flatheads. I mean, just... I am a fanatic. I've gone way back in the middle of nowhere to chase native trout. But you know what? I still feel like a little kid when I slide down that bank to see what's in that little creek running underneath that overpass. And I'll never stop. I'll never stop trying to find new places and new ways to catch fish because I know that I've never wasted a minute of my life fishing. And think about that when we get to today's song of the day. With that, let me remind you that you can help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. The tspaz item of the day is the mini fish gripper that I already talked about, so I won't talk about it again. Just remember, you can always support us no matter what you buy, whether it's fishing related or not, when you shop online by going to tspaz.com. First, the other way you can support us is become a member of the MSB. Get all those yummy, juicy discounts, and then let it pay for your membership and then some. And you can really do that right now because it's on sale. For $30 a month until close of business today. You're going to miss the sale if you don't take it right now. It's $30. Bucks. The discount code is this bullshit because in Texas, 
We don't say COVID. We don't say pandemic. We don't say lockdown. We say with all this bullshit going on, and people understand. The discount code is this bullshit, one word, all lowercase. So this bullshit, no spaces or anything like that. All right? That's your last chance. Now, if you, you're like, I just heard about this, and it's tomorrow, and I can't do it now. Sorry. But if you were on the Daily Mail or the Telegram channel, there's no way you wouldn't have known because all the stuff goes out on those two things, and there's a bunch of other cool ways to stay in touch with us. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Get Social or Daily Mail to sign up for those options. And with that, let's talk about our song of the day today. I found a song of the day today I had never heard before. It's by Chris Ray that really sums up what I was trying to say in a lot of ways about fishing today. And it, it, it talks about since I've got nothing else to do, and he sounds like talking to a romantic partner, and he ain't never going to be happy anyhow, anyway. I'm going to go fishing, and I'm going today. But the stanza, the one that I did for my line drop today, I do a, that's interesting with fishing, right? A line drop. I do a line drop on the Telegram group. I do a line drop on all the social media of the song of the day. I don't tell you what the song is. I just drop some lines. But tell me this doesn't sound like making more of your dash. You can waste whole lifetime trying to be what you think is expected of you, but you'll never be free. May as well go fishing. And I'll tell you what I said earlier. I have never thought to myself, boy, I wasted a lot of my life fishing. I can't think back to a single time that I've been on the side of a bank or wading in the ocean or out on a boat. And I thought after that was over, I think back to it and go, ah, I would have been better off working than doing that. It's it's something that I've, I've talked to my wife. She says, you need to go hunting more. And I'm like, I need to go fishing more, like hiring guides and stuff and go fishing more, more big pursuits as well. So in some ways, I, I really prefer it even to hunting. I really do. Because the way I look at it is this. Let's say I go out fishing. A big trip, not just a little ditch fish trip like we're talking about today. I go out, and I'm in pursuit of some really big trophy fish or some kind of you know once-in-a-lifetime bucket lift fish. And I get out there with that, that guide, and first thing, first cast, boom, there it is. Still going to fish for the rest of the day, all right? You go out and you do that, and you take that, that buck of a lifetime early in that trip, it's over. It's done. Till next year. Not fishing, guys. There's no limit. There's no limit to how much fishing you can do. Sometimes you got to assign a limit because you don't want to be the uh, I'm going to miss her song. But when it comes down to it, you can waste a whole lifetime trying to be what you think is expected of you. But doing that will never make you free. May as well go fishing. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. I'm gone fishing.
Fishing. 